Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? I cannot thank you enough that on a messy Sunday morning, you chose to come to worship. That is so awesome. I mean, we, we looked at some graphs a few weeks ago. It has rained on, almost probably over half the Sundays of this year, and you come anyway. And I'm so excited and thankful, especially if you are a guest of ours today. If you're joining us online or you're in the room, we'd love to invite you to let us know that you're here today. So on your way out, if you're in the, in the worship center, there's a, there's a desk right outside these doors with some people that would love to meet you, give you a gift for just coming to hang out with us today. Let us show you how much we appreciate you coming to visit with us. And if you're online, drop us a note right now in that chat feed. Let us know you're joining us. And guys, let me tell you, this week I heard a story that someone shared with me. There are people that join us for worship that are pretty far away. And we think about COVID and all the bad things that COVID did, but let me help you to reflect on some of the good things that it brought. Because there are people that are worshiping us with us right now that know there's no way they could have driven here today. And we so much appreciate that. If you're joining us online, thank you so much. Because we're in the middle of a new series called We Are Ebenezer, where we're talking about our mission statement, our core values, what defines us, and what drives us. Last week, we started with the acronym HOPE, H-O-P-E, and we said we are a place of hope. Say place. We are a people of hope. Say people. We are Ebenezer. Say it again. And we saw the first directive of our mission statement, starting with the letter H, help others know, which means to connect. As a people of God, as Ebenezer, our number one thing is we want to connect with people so that they will know, think about your brain, that they will know God. That's what we do. And we talked about how that there are going to be 12 stones, the 12 stones of Ebenezer, that are going to undergird these four statements. And we learned the first three last week. Helping others know, we do that by connecting, sharing, and inviting. Say connect, share, invite. And see, those are things that you and I can do. We intentionally need to try to connect with people in this room and outside this room. We need to share our life with other people. And we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to be able to verbalize not just our testimony, but the gospel. That Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive our sin and was raised again to give us life. And we need to invite them to do so, to put their faith and trust in Christ, invite them to be with us. And last week before you left, we had cards all across the worship center called My Five. These are the names of five people that you may be doing life with, that you work with, go to school with, that don't come to church and may not know Jesus. And I've challenged you to take this card, to write these names, and you keep this card. You put it in your Bible, and on the back it gives you instructions on how, built on the acronym of BLESS, that you can engage, connect with these people. And anything you see in the color purple goes with this directive. It means to connect. And so I want you, if you did not get one of these cards, we're actually having some more made up because we ran out. But they will be in our Connection Center, at our Welcome Desk. 
please take one of these, pray over it, and see how you can make an impact in the world around you. And I believe you can. Take a Bible or your device and go to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. And while you're going there, I thought it would be fun to look back over the last century at all the different fads that have come and some have gone. I'm 48 years old, and when I was in middle school, some of you may remember this, but one of the fads that we had to endure was tight rolling our pants. Y'all, Some of y'all are laughing because you know what this is about to look like, don't you? I still got the skills. We would take our pants and we would fold it over like this and duck, tuck it up like this and do a two-roll. You ready for this? Y'all going to think I'm in a gang or something. And that's how we went to school, right there. Every day. How many of you tight-rolled your pants? If you're online, you raise your hand too. And we did that through middle school. And finally, we did that in penny loafers. That was our fad. And, and so there's, all been, there's been all kinds of fads that have come, come through. For example, in 1927, the Pez dispenser. 27, that's almost 100 years ago. Or drive-in theaters in the 30s. Aren't you thankful for Girl Scout cookies? A little fad that came and it's still kind of around. What about spam? Not, not email, I'm talking about spam that you eat. That was a fad. And apparently in 1939, there was a fad of swallowing goldfish. I think that one went. And for, in the 40s, we were introduced to Polaroid cameras. That kind of came and went, and it came back. And then when you get into the 50s, you got the Mickey Mouse Club. That was only on air for about four years. Did you know that? The Mickey Mouse Club was only on the air four years. And then right after that, though, in 57, 58, respectively, you had the Frisbee and the hula hoop came along. How many of you had a hula hoop? How many of you could still hula hoop? About three-quarters of those hands just went down. And then on March night, 1959, Barbie made her way on the scene. Ladies, how many of you still have your Barbie dolls? That's what I thought. And then in 1960, come on, baby, the twist came around. And I mean, we don't twist anymore. I think it's slam dancing or something. 1970s brought some cool things. Video games, Nerf balls, pet rocks. How many of you had a pet rock? You still have it? Something that's close to, to my heart because my mother-in-law used to sew the hair on these were Cabbage Patch Dolls, 1978. 1979, The Walkman, Rubik's Cube. 85, you ready for this? Long hair metal bands. Long haired metal bands. I said that wrong. Long haired metal bands. They really didn't last that long. But some of us, that's our playlist on the radio. And then the 90s came. And I don't know what happened. Our brains began to break. But we had wind suits. If you'd have taken a leaf blower and stuck it up your pants leg, you'd have blown up like Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. But it was a fad, and I'm glad it went, came and it went. The Macarena in the, in the 60s came around, and then you get to 2000s and Crocs came around. I mean, you've got a pair of Crocs now. They turned into Hey Dudes. Now the Hey Dudes are the fad, right? But in all of these, whether it was the man buns of the 2015s or eating Tide Pods in 2017, they're all fads. They come and they go. And if you participated in a fad, you did so because you owned it. It gave you an identity. You know, the funny thing is, it doesn't matter much if you don't own it. If you've ever watched the cartoon Phineas and Ferb, they had a whole episode making fun of people 
buying into fads because they made clothes in the episode. Everybody bought the clothes, and before the end of the episode, somebody else had made different clothes, and they all bought those clothes. It's like we move around in herds. But in life, other than your material possessions, what kind of concepts or ideas have you taken ownership with? If you're an avid Georgia fan, I know some of you are, that identity owns you. You wear and you bleed red, don't you? You got bulldogs. We, we just got our house, and, and when we went to look at it, um, there were like 18 bulldogs around the outskirt of the house. And they said, you want to keep these? And I said, no. <laughs> You're welcome, Billy. I told him no. I don't, want those, I don't want those bulldogs left. Or if you're a hunter, an avid hunter or fisherman, you, you, you wear all kinds of different things and buy stuff because you, you consume yourself with that hobby. Or if you're a reader, how many of you are readers? My daughter is a reader and she can consume a book faster than anyone that I know. I'm a book junkie. Go down to my office. I have three to four bookcases of books that's not counting what's at my house in boxes now. But you know what? That tells a lot about who you and I are. The things that you wear, the, things, the clothes you, you buy, the, the, the car that you drive, all of those are a reflection of who you are. Those things that you are avid about tells a lot about who you are. It tells a lot about what you own. In fact, I, I want to read this quote about, from a lady about ownership, owning something. It says, ownership is a powerful thing. It makes people feel things, things like love and pride, responsibility, and even jealousy. Ownership colors a person's view of the object of their possession and its value. I have a collection of the state coins, the quarters. I have all 50. Monetarily, it's worth $12.50. In the process of moving, my son found this, this board that I popped those quarters into. It's worth more than that to him. Because over four years' time, I collected those quarters, and he thought it was really cool. He said, Dad, can I keep it? I'm like, sure, you can keep that. As I was moving, I found my great-grandfather's Bible. The book of Genesis is missing because the moths ate it. Oh, by the way, my great-grandfather was born in 1865, and I have that Bible. It's over 100 years old. It's in a Ziploc bag. You know what it's worth? Nothing, because <laughs> it's been eaten up. It's, it's dissolving. When I found it, it had those little roly-polies on it, because my grandmother had stuck it in a shed. But when I opened that Bible, and it says, in the only part where he wrote, he said, I'm proud of my son, Tom Bryce. That was my papa that I lived next to. That Bible is priceless. Because here's the thing, when you own something, you take care of it, right? How many of you have ever loaned something to someone else? And you get it back and they've ruined it. That's why I don't loan my books out. So if you come to my office and say, hey, can I borrow that book? I'd be like, I'll buy you the book. I just, I'm like, it's like a trophy to me, I, it's weird. Or if you come into my office right now, half of my Lego collection's in there. And someone came in another day and said, can I play with that? And went, no. <laughs> Super glued it together. <laughs> what do you think? But they're mine. And I take pride in it. My, my family is, is mine. I take pride in it. My appearance is mine. I, I take pride in it. Now I want to ask you today, 
Is your faith yours? Do you own your faith? Is it yours? Or do you, are you sitting here today because when you were a child you had a drug problem? Your mom and dad drug you to church. And you maybe say, well, no, I'm a, I'm a member. I went to church when I was little and I got saved and baptized. Well, how do you know you say, well, I'm a member of... That is not owning your faith. And you know how I know if I own my faith? I'm growing in my faith. God is stretching my knowledge and my doing. I'm looking more like Him. And so as we set up this second directive, I want you to look at your study guides because there's three blanks there that say this. Own faith. That's the, that's the second letter, O. The second directive, our core value is to own faith. I need to own my faith. This image or this, this instruction I've received in my head needs to move to my heart. And what that means is it equals grow. When I own my faith, I will grow. In fact, there's a blank there. And it says this, I must own my faith if I expect to grow in Christ. It doesn't happen by osmosis. One of the fads that I remember growing up was reading Garfield in the Weekly Times, the, the Gainesville Times. Actually, I liked Sunday's edition because it was in color. In, during the week, it was black and white. But I'd run down to my pop's house to get his paper so I could read Garfield. You do not learn by osmosis. You can, you can stick your head in this Bible all you want. It's not going to stick. When I own my faith, then there's something about my behavior that is seeking to become like the one who died for my sin. It's seeking to love like the one who loved me. It's about being as serious. Like, I know when it gets hunting season, there are certain people, that, I mean, they're not going to miss that deer stand. No, no offense. I mean, I, I'm glad you have a hobby. But Jesus is more than a hobby. Jesus is more than a sports team. You notice I don't wear sports paraphernalia. I just don't do it. I, I don't want to be defined by a label. You probably heard that in the message last week. I don't like labels on myself. But the one label I do want is the label of Jesus. I want that to define who I am. And in this text we're going to read today, there's a very pointed question that Jesus asks his disciples. So would you mind standing with me as we read from the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew, starting in verse number 13? It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's a label that he had used of himself. And now he's got his 12 in front of them, and he's asking. And they said to him, some, of you, some say that you're John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, but still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They recognized definitely there was something different about Jesus. He said to them, let me, let me, let me, let me phrase this in southern language, but who do you all say I am? Y'all. He asked all of them, but only one of them answered back. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Have, have you ever said that? Have you in your praying ever said, you, Jesus, are the Son of the Most High Living God. You are the Christ. 
And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or of Jonah. His dad was named Jonah. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you speak to our hearts today. That the words, the confession of who Jesus is will be on our heart. And that it would drive us to seek, to know, and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in just a second behind me on the screen, you're going to see a picture of a cave. When the text says that Jesus went into the district of Caesarea Philippi, this most likely was the place where he took his disciples. They called this the gate of hell. Historically speaking, this is located north of Galilee. He had removed his disciples from the tension that is building. Just, just before this, the Sadducees and the Pharisees who couldn't gr- agree on the color green approached Jesus and challenged him about a sign. They were becoming combative toward him and were just weeks before Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And in that moment, he takes his disciples away. He takes them on a retreat, but he takes them here at the foot of Mount Hermon. History teaches us that that the Hellenistic people believed this is where the Greco-Roman god Pan was born. He was a fertility god. And, And if you think about seasons, verse summer versus winter, What they did to explain seasons is that the fertility gods and goddesses would retreat into this cave and go to sleep, basically, as the the earth went to sleep. And they came back out and things would bloom, right? And since there's young ears in the room, they did some pretty weird and despicable things to worship these gods and goddesses. In fact, history tells us that right here, In this area, there were probably at least 14 different temples built to worship pagan gods. One of those was an erection built towards Caesar. They worshiped Caesar as a god. And they did this here at a place called the Gate of Hell. So Jesus is standing there and he asks them a pointed question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Maybe my question to you this morning is that. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Who do you confess? Say confess. Say it again. Who do you confess Jesus to be? Is he just a man? Is he just a prophet who knew a lot of stuff? Maybe for some of you, you might actually believe he's a fairy tale. Maybe, maybe you're scrolling through Facebook right now and our feed has popped up and you're watching this and you're hearing these words and you just really don't know who Jesus is. Matthew wrote this gospel to answer the question who Jesus is. In fact, your first blank says, confess who Jesus is. Matthew 1.1 says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of David. They believed that there was going to be someone coming. The Son of God, the Son of David. Micah 5.2 said, But as for you, Bethlehem, Apatha, Apatha, 
Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler of Israel. And now he's standing here, miles away from home, and the very nation that God had appointed him to rule has rejected him. And so he asks, well, what are people saying about me? Thomas Constable says, says this, he says, there were many different opinions about who Jesus was. And I would argue today, there are still many different opinions about who Jesus is. And none of them are biblical. We have formulated this, this Jesus who does not care about sin, but did some good stuff. He didn't redeem us from anything. He had no power. This is, this is what the world is, is, is trying to convey. In fact, if you, you want to talk about fads, back many years ago, there was a book came out called The Da Vinci Code. I read it in a day. And there were seven things that that book called into question about the identity of Jesus. Well, why would they want to do that? Because if you can attack the identity of Jesus, you can strip away the things he said. And it's worse now. We have created a Jesus who doesn't care about sin. We've accepted, we've, we've got a Jesus. Yes, we do believe Jesus accepts no matter what. But to become like Jesus, many people have erected their own gods and goddesses and just put his name on it. You and I have to be sure about who this Jesus is that we're confessing because just like Peter, when he said it, he owned it. He owned it. He knew by saying what he said, he was guilty of blasphemy in the eyes of those Sadducees and Pharisees. John 1.14 is so clear. Jesus is the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Both at the same time. If you take away the truth, you have cheap love. If you take away his grace, you have an unjust God. Both at the same time, fully revealing to us our sin, but yet dying for us to take that sin away. That's the kind of Jesus that I know. And today, what, what, how do we see this? We're talking about our directives. Will we see this in our profession? What we say about Jesus in our identity in those waters. Have I identified myself with the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Romans 10, 9 says, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says, promises, that I would be saved. Have you done that? Have you come to that place where you realize that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself? You can do nothing good to get to heaven. You're spinning your wheels, you're stuck in a rut, and you're going nowhere. But Jesus died on the cross and was raised again, and in that power, he can come and pull you up out of that rut. Forgive your sin and take it completely away and give you life. That's the Jesus that I have come to believe in. And I need to come to that Jesus with a repentive attitude that I'm ready to turn away from my old life and follow in a new life. That's confession. It says in Romans 6, 5, talking about baptism, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, surely we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. What I believe about Jesus matters. What I confess about Jesus matters. And as Ebenezer, 
That's what I want. I want us to be sure of the one that we confess to be our Savior. That's what I want. And you know what? where we see this best? Is in this pool back here behind us. Lives changed by coming to Jesus. You want to know why I jumped up at the end of that? You're going to see that every time we have baptism. And I want to challenge you to get that excited too because what the Bible says is that when some, one sinner repents, angels are celebrating in heaven. And we need to have that same celebratory spirit that someone has passed from death into life. Did you not, did you not hear what Timothy said about that young man? If they don't have a Bible, I'll make them one. When we walk into dollar store and we see people in front of us, is that the thought that we have is that that person may not know Christ and is going to hell? Do we have that? We want to make sure we first help others know by connecting, but two, we are living out the confession that we have. Why? Because the second point, we need to seek to know Jesus more. I talked about in the last service, I want to elaborate on as much because another fad was speed dating. Speed dating is this idea where people come in this room and they pair off the, the men and the women, the boys and girls, whatever that looks like, and they put out tables and you sit at a table across from somebody else for three minutes and try to get to know them and then you change tables and sit with somebody else and by the time you're over, you've met with 12 different people or so, I don't know. I've never done it, so I can't describe it. It's not a fad I bought into. I met my wife at North Georgia standing at the ATM at the basement of the keg, because it used to be the St. Bernard's. And she walked in the door and Dreamweaver started playing. And glitter was falling on the, out of the sky. And... Actually, that's what she said about me. But anyway, but when we, th we look again at the text in verse number 17, after Simon makes this profession, he says, Blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father did. We need to seek to know Jesus more. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek and find me when you seek after me with all of your heart. Not some of your heart, not convenient heart, your whole heart. I know some of you hunters in here, you're looking for that big buck. I mean, you have scouted that, that bad boy for years and you're giving up time because that time's gonna come. When he comes right out of the woods with those antlers just sparkling. And your stomach's going to pit up. Your stomach's going to pit up because you're, you're going to be scared. You're going to hold that gun up like Barney Five. And you're, you're, you're going to be scared to death because here's the biggest buck you've ever seen. But you have spent hours and hours and hours and money to find this buck. Guys, that's the kind of attitude we need to have about Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. We need to be committed to learning about Jesus and then doing something with what we've learned. And how do we do that? We do that in groups. Whether that's four men sitting at McDonald's having coffee, gossiping, and talking about Jesus, or one of our life groups. We need groups. You need other people in your life. Not moral police. You don't need somebody who's constantly shaming you and putting you down because you're not walking good enough. I serve a God who's beyond the good enough. Because if you look at Peter's life, he's made this confession. And he said, on this rock, I will build my church. And 
Scholars talk about either A, that meant Peter himself or his profession. I lean more toward the latter. But it was on this rock, he said, I would build my ecclesia, my called out ones. This is the first time Jesus begins to allude to the fact that you're not a solo in this. You are meant to be together and do life together. And that's how we learn. And then when we learn, we apply what we learn so that we can grow. Life is best measured in the context of a small group. And I want to ask you, do you have people in your life? And for some of you, I just made you really uncomfortable because you're an introvert. When you come into church, you might even slip into these side doors so nobody sees you. That's your personality. That's the way God, God wired you. If you ever get to see Laura and me with each other, I'm the extrovert, she's the introvert. And I embarrass her most of the time. Well, yeah, yes, no, I do. I embarrass her most. I embarrassed her at the house signing this week. But that's me. I was cutting up and having some fun. And if you're an introvert, sometimes the last thing you're looking for is somebody to speak to you. But deep down inside, you want them to. It's kind of tough, isn't it? And us extroverts, sometimes we can't stop running our mouth long enough to get to know people. But in all of that mix, God has pulled us together. And together as a team, we can make a difference. One author said this, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. You take this, you take this book, and it originated from 12 followers. 12 followers who owned their faith. They were sure of their confession, and they sought Jesus. And I believe for everybody in this room, one of the greatest needs you have is to be in a group. In fact, I would like to share a video with you where two of our group leaders share about the importance of our life groups. So watch the screen for a few minutes. Hey, I'm Lynn Brady. And I'm Pam. And we have been at Ebenezer now for nine years, and we started a life group in what date? It's about two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was born and raised in Dakota, and Pam moved here in the sixth grade, and we fell in love in high school. And we were married in 79. We just uh, have celebrated our 44th year uh, of marriage. And I was a child, yes. And so was I. Yes, so. 44 years this week. Yeah. And we uh, are so privileged to be in a life group, to help lead a life group of uh, couples with uh, uh, young children. And we've been together with this group at 9 o'clock. We offer it at 9 o'clock, and also uh, the same group meets at 10, or we offer it at 10.30, too. Um, and... This group um, means the world to us. We have about probably on average 25 people a week in this group. And uh, they, they range in ages. They're kids from newborn through some even have college-age kids. And um, we just love them to death. Leading this group has impacted us, I think, as a couple in that 
that it has made us think back to when we were their age and the, the stages of life that you go through as a couple from newlywed to married with um, babies and not getting much sleep to toddlers and teenagers. And it's just helped us to reflect and also to rejoice that we are through that stage of life. And, but at the same time, uh, look back with so many fond memories and just how it is such a fleeting season. It just happens in a blink that, that you have all this going on in your home and you're so tired and you're running from one ball game to the next and one school project to the next and up at making muffins at you know midnight to have at school the next morning and then when they go off to school and leave home it's like then you realize it's just the two of you. And so, you know, I think it's made us realize too that this season of life where we are empty nesters in some ways, um, because, well, in a lot of ways, um, it's, it's such a blessing that we go back to that time of life where it is just the two of us primarily and we can do all those fun things and, and um, activities that were so hard to do when we had a house full of boys. Well, the way that our, our couples connect outside of the, our group is we have we try to have socials um, at least once every three months, and also um, the ladies get together. How often is that? At several times a month. Several times a month mm -hmm. at one of their houses. So um, that's the main way yeah. we connect. Yeah, and we try to you know we also um, we have. I, we see that the couples, too, are becoming friends. They have become friends outside of church. Mm -hmm. When uh, we go to birthday parties together and other things, we look around and see that the majority of the people at that birthday party are in the same life group together. They're, they're not just doing church together. They're doing life together, and they're doing things outside of, of Sunday uh, and Wednesdays. They're doing... Um, you know, trips together and, and fun things together during the week. I think being in a, a life group um, helps us to be strong, be closer to Christ in that you realize that you're not fighting a battle alone, that you have um, multiple people that in that group that you can call on to pray with you, to, to do life with you, that you just need to have some godly advice from and that you're not out here struggling with your marriage or with raising your kids alone, that, you're, that you have a whole room full of people that love you, that pour into you, and um, are just with you every day. So even in this room today, there are some of you that are in a group like what she's described, and you're growing and you're learning. I can tell you even in this room also are people who inwardly are hurting today and don't have that connection. And so when I say seek, yes, that is, a, that is something I need to own. I need to seek to know Jesus more. I need to seek a group to be plugged in, but I also ought to consider, you know what, even today there may be somebody seeking silently and they need to be invited. They need to be asked. Because when we think about this, there's an invitation that Jesus has given everybody in this room. An invitation that he's called all of us to, and that is to follow him. Third blank there says, follow his steps. 
Jesus has done so much for us. We, the church, are the expression of His body in this world right now until He comes back. He's got a purpose for your life. When I have my confession sure that I'm seeking to know Him more, the natural outflow of that is to follow Him. In verse 24, He said, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Those first two verbs... To deny and to take are in the aorist tense. It's completed. It's a done action. But follow is present tense. It's progressive. It's ongoing. Jesus has invited you and me to deny our past, to take up the present, and press into the future. How do we do that? By owning my faith. By you owning your faith. I must own my faith. To grow in Christ. And so at the bottom of your outline are those stones again. And in the big, large, rectangular slot, I want you to write the two words, own faith. Own faith. And then the stones that support that, I'm going to say it, I want you to repeat it with me and write it down. Confess. Seek. Follow. Those are the things that we do. As Ebenezer, we are a place of hope. We are a people of hope. We are Ebenezer. We exist to help others know, and we exist to own faith. That is who we are. And so I want to challenge you this morning with three things, and I'm going to pray. First of all, You need a quiet time, and you need a group. Each quarter we have these available in our lobby just to kind of give you a, a, a tool, some help. Maybe you have the Bible app, whatever it is. This week, if you have let your quiet time kind of slip away, would you at least take the Bible app and read the verse of the day? At some point, whether you're going to eat at some point. Pull that verse out, or maybe you could read, a proverb of day. There's, there's 31 of them, so you could read one a month corresponding with the day of the month. Tomorrow's what? May 1st. You could start tomorrow fresh. Whatever will help you get in that routine. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I really would like to be in a life group. At our giving stations and at our welcome desk, we have some cards that says, I'm interested in a life group. 930, excuse me, 9 and 1030, name, phone number. If you'll fill that out and drop it back in our giving, giving boxes or give it to, to one of our team members, we'll reach out and try to help you get connected. And lastly is membership. I think the church ministry means more when you make the church your own. Our next Discover class is coming up on the 10th. We have about four or five already signed up. It's a Wednesday night to come and hear about our church, to talk to you about your faith. Because as Ebenezer, we own our faith. It's ours. And if it's not, we want to move you in that right direction. So I want to do something weird. Now I'm going to make you nervous. If you're a life group leader, would you stand up? Oh gosh, y'all are going to throw some tomatoes at me because I did not tell you I was going to do this. Thank you for what you do. For what you are doing for our church and for our people. And so I want to close in prayer before we sing this last song, but I want us to pray for our group leaders. 
And now that you see who they are, if you're in here and you're like, I've been wanting to find a new group, you know where they're standing. And so you can go to them and you can ask them questions. How could I know more about your group? So let me pray for, for you when I say amen. Y'all stand up and let's sing. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we close out today, I, I pray you move on us that whatever God you have in need for us to do, that we'll be willing to go, that we'll be sure of our confession, that we'll be seeking you with our whole hearts, and that we would follow you wherever you would lead us to go. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.